Welcome to episode 10 of Once Upon a Lifetime. This is our fifth installment of our Eunice Kennedy Shriver series, and we suggest you go back and listen to previous episodes, but if you want to pick up here, it is an interesting place to pick up. John F. Kennedy is about to begin his run for the presidency. All right. If there's a campaign, Eunice is all in. If a Kennedy is running for any, like, dog catcher, doesn't matter what it is, <laughs> Eunice is right there ready to cheerlead. So she is all about this campaign. Yeah. And this is also when the truth about Rosemary starts to come out. Yeah. Just starts ask, see- like, how long can this possibly go on before yep. longer? Somebody says, wait a second. Isn't yeah, there nine of you? Think. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And well, where's the other one? Joe kind of drops little hints here and there. He'll it'll kind of weave little. So his he just stops pretending, or does he actually admit it? Mm. Oh, that's not that. It's not that clear. I mean, we couldn't possibly just have an, a yes or no answer to that. No, no, no. But what he does is he says. Um, and part of this is because Eunice is getting so involved in this work and they're becoming, it's getting more and more public that they are doing all this work for mental disability. You know, it's going to come out. Somebody's going to ask, where is that child of yours that had mental disabilities? Right. And it's and kind of, see, they don't know that she has mental disabilities. Well, that's they had pretended for so long. Right. People mostly do not know that that is happening, but right. it is a sort of open secret in, especially in the mental disability advocacy world that Mm. Eunice is very involved in. You know, the people she's working with, they know. And she's not the type to, like, keep maintaining a fraud. No. Like, you know what I mean? She's she's bending to the wishes of her parents and Joe in particular to kind of keep this very quiet. Right. Right. But it starts to come out because Joe is realizing, you know, a presidential run like you're not hiding stuff even people back are then. starting to yeah. dig yeah. i mean they didn't have the internet if the internet was there then joe would never right. I, there would be no kennedy dynasty right. or careers right. it would just not be a thing so he does an interview where he says that rosemary had spinal meningitis as a child and that now she's in a home and he says i used to think it was something to hide but then i learned that almost everyone i know has a relative or good friend who has the problem i think it is best to bring these things out in the open but he doesn't really bring it out in the it's open. It's not in because... the open open. It's like a little fan dance with the truth here where he's yeah. he's giving you a little peek, peek. right yeah. of like, yeah, so we have a problem. Right. But, but he certainly not... does not cop to the lobotomy, which as far as most people think he hadn't even cop to within the family. Right. They mm-hmm. don't even know yet what happened. Maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of debate about that, but we basically we don't know. So either way, that's not out in the open. And also spinal meningitis, like maybe it's plausible, but probably not. She had really, she had very early delays from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So probably it was that birth accident. Did, yeah. did Joe, I mean, I know, I know birth was so different back in those days and he probably was not in the room. So did he actually know about the whole birth situation like, could that have been actually he was ignorant of what happened at her birth? Yeah, he could have been ignorant to some degree. Um, there is some interesting contact between the doctor who did the, who delivered her, finally, and the Kennedys, where the doctor seems to be trying to help them still. This is an OBGYN helping them with their disabled daughter, 
way later, like 12 years later, that's a little weird unless there was some idea of that maybe yeah. he was responsible in some way for right. it. Maybe not. Maybe he was just the family doctor and he was just there. You know, it's not clear, but I can't, we can't answer that question right. because we don't know. Right. Um, a lot of the information in the Kennedy letters has been redacted. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much that is public. Right. And at this point, it's already such a huge thing that Joe's even discussed it at all, even right. though it's like couched in prison, like the problem. Yeah. Or, you know, later they'll say Rosemary's condition. And it's a big deal that he has it out there. But he knows that if he doesn't kind of give that little tidbit that people are going to go digging and it'll look worse if, right. if they don't explain something right right so at hyannisport that summer jack i kind of love this this is where things really start to change and i think you can see how eunice has gone from being the smack dabber in the family right there in the middle to now joe the oldest has died Hmm. kick has died and now we're down to jack and eunice jack is the oldest and eunice is now the oldest girl and so you actually see them forming this new relationship so the whole family campaigned for him the girls all wore 10 gallon hats this time (laughs) instead of poodle skirts oh gosh but they're all campaigning together um but eunice is the only sibling who jack is running his speeches by you know they're all at hyannis port and he's giving his speeches he's asking her about policy questions about mental disability they're really kind of forming this bond and also she's unique in that she ends up doing a lot of what Jackie would have been doing. So Jack and Jackie are married at this point, but Jackie has had a miscarriage and then she had a stillbirth and now she's pregnant. So she is not going to be on the campaign trail in the same way she would be normally or the role of the wife would be. So Eunice kind of steps in there too and takes a lot of what would have been Jackie's hostess roles She's doing a lot of that work as well. She's very adept at it. I think that she probably did, if not as good, I, I feel like she probably did a better job in promoting Jack and really being all in. And really the two of them, Jack and Eunice, were the most energetic, the most frenetic. Yeah. They're also the ones with a thyroid disorder. So I right. feel like yes, that could explain some of it. <laughs> no. Can um, we all get a thyroid disorder? I was just thinking, I was like, should I say that? But yes. I yes. like one of those. Yeah. Um, so Jack wins, as we know. Jack is a winner. Mm-hmm. And he wins. And Eunice is right there at the, in the transition team. She shoehorns two of her mental disability experts that she's kind of cultivated this relationship with, she basically like forces them into the transition team in order that they will be in the government on some level, uh, a task force or something. So she kind of gets her policy people in at the ground level. And this is when she's ill, like right after the he wins, she goes into the hospital for weeks. And Joe says... She is making phone calls to her dad about getting the ball rolling. You know, she's got her people primed and ready. And she's like in the hospital. And Joe says to her, just lie down and get well, for God's sake. And then you can come to Florida and we'll discuss the subject and see what turns up. So she just does not take a sick day, this one. She's, you know, she was one to work in bed, like 
all all her life. It just didn't. Right. No naps for Eunice. <laughs> right, right. So when she gets to Florida, Joe does back her up, though. And that's what I think he because at first when I read that, I thought he was just trying to put her off. But in in the meeting, she has there have their transition team headquarters at their Palm Beach house. So they're all there. And Joe's they have a meeting, Jack and Joe and Eunice. And Joe says to Jack, the foundation can't go on trying to lick this problem alone. It's impossible for us to do it. And it it affects too many families in this country. So he gets Jack kind of right on board. They all have this idea that we have to try to, you know, lick the problem of mental disability, which is interesting to me. Politically, not just... um... I don't philanthropically or something. Right. That what they're realizing is they've done kind of what they can do philanthropically. Right. They really want to get into policy mm-hmm. and start making institutional strides in the government. Um, but the description, one of my favorite descriptions in the books that I've read was the one of the transition team headquarters. One historian says it was a screwball comedy in which several generations of an eccentric family trip over one another in a creaky mansion (laughs) where the phones never stop ringing, doors never cease slamming, typewriters clack round the clock, doorbells sound perpetually, and guests never stop arriving and departing. I just love it. Like this is, and this is why she thrives in chaos. (laughs) This is the Kennedy family. Well, and that's a perfect movie scene where you can just picture what that looked and sounded like. Exactly. The frenetic energy. Inauguration day. Mm Mm-hmm. Go ahead, because it's fun. Oh, the inauguration day. She's excited. She couldn't be more excited. She's got one of those like little handheld cameras, you know, the little Super 8 kind of things. So she's filming the um, the inauguration, the, the parade. And then she like runs across, goes into the Lincoln bedroom, like bounces on the bed. Oh, like jumping on the bed yeah. with Jack's yes. old um, roommate from college. Right. <laughs> oh, that's Lifelong great. friend. Like they're just filled with absolute glee. This it's is... a total like family victory. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I mean, your brother just became president. Like that mm-hmm. is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they were just partying like kids, like literally just running around the White House. These are adults now. She's 40. This is not a young thing, you yeah. know? I mean, she's young at heart, for sure. <laughs> hey, 40 is not that old. But um, no, it's, not. <laughs> it's not. It's really not. But, but I'm glad would to we hear all, you say it. Yeah. Would we all be jumping on the beds in the White House, though? I, I might, I think. Maybe. I'd love to, I'd love to Depends have the opportunity. Depends on how many drinks I had. Yes. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. And she makes... Jack signed the White House menu for that night, and he writes to Eunice, whose work in Wisconsin and Ohio made all this possible, and he had lost both of those states. So it's just like, haha, yeah. you know, a little ribbing. Um, Bobby becomes Attorney General, and Ted. These are both younger brothers of Eunice and Jack. Ted is set up to run for the senate seat that jack had to leave when he became president so it's kind of all in the family family move your little chess pieces around yep Yep. Yep. and sarge and eunice move from chicago to the dc area where sarge is given the job of starting the peace corps which he does admirably tirelessly just Mm -hmm. throws it's like this is a sarge dream come true job this is really up his alley because he's such an idealist so it's just so perfect Right. So they move to Rockville, and they're just outside of D.C. on a 250-acre estate, 7,000-square-foot house called Timberlawn. 
Oh, Timberlawn is like a paradise for kids. I, I feel like you would love this. It's has woods and horses and cows and animals and 20 dogs. Wow. I know. That's, that's crazy. 20 dogs. Why? I mean, who would love the 20 dogs? I don't, does anyone want that? I feel like Are I would love outdoor dogs. Yes. I, mean, I have no. questions. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. No, no. They're not all outdoor dogs oh, at all. There's no. one dog in particular who... There's a description of him. He's like gigantic and white and fluffy. Oh, no. And his yeah. paw is as large as a small ham, oh. which I thought was an excellent description. <laughs> yeah. That's like an Alaskan Malamute or something. Yes. 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 Yeah. But they were just, again, it's just like the animals and, and the, the kids and the energy. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just slightly larger. Yeah. Space. Like, the house was pretty much perfect in every way, but... You knew that if you were going to go visit the Shrivers at their home, you were going to have like great company, wonderful conversation, probably some good drinks, but the food was going to be at best like mediocre and probably inedible. Famously bad food. Like never enough of it and Uh just badly done. That's the worst. Boring. It's like hire a chef. Well, she she did. Okay, she did. Oh, no. And the chef couldn't cook. No, but here's the thing. Eunice would be like, I'll get the help. And so she would get like people with like mental challenges or, you know, maybe psychological problems or, you know, people who were probably like this was going to take some training to get some effective food going. And plus, she just wasn't interested in food. Yeah. I'm a so it was always person, like but... they had on vacation at Hyannisport. Ethel, um, Bobby's wife, says every it, once. It's just like how my family vacations. I love this. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I feel like some some things are very similar. But, you know, one family takes the responsibility for providing the food per night. And at Hyannisport all summer long, Eunice was in charge of Tuesday night. And it was always chicken with and, rice. Yeah. No, no. Chicken, <laughs> peas, peas, and mashed potatoes. Yes, that's right. Like, no rice. That was the trinity on her and plate. Just, of boring. Never changed. And she had a chef. So she could have said anything. Right. But just no. They'd probably say, what do you want, ma'am? She goes, oh, I don't know. I don't care. Just make that chicken, peas, and the potato. You know, like, just could, didn't care. And people yeah. would call and say, Eunice, you know, it's Tuesday. Please, for God's sake, not the chicken. And Can she'd we have say, some beef? Right. And she'd get distracted and say, yeah, yeah, whatever. And no. Always. She just could not care. Like clockwork. I mean, and you just, you can't, as you've said, Christina, many times, you can't have all the baskets. You can't no. be holding all the things, doing no. all the things. You're going to drop one of the baskets. Well, food hey, was yes. the one. Food was of the dropped course. basket. And, I mean... To her, like she couldn't hardly eat anything. She had all these dietary restrictions. Right. So she probably didn't care. No, well, she not could not radar, relate. Like, she could yeah. not relate to people saying something like, "I'd like something more exciting." She's just like, "About well, a beef tenderloin once in a while." Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So at this point, Bobby is seven. The Shriver kids are Bobby, Sue is seven, Maria is five, Timmy is two, and they've moved from a uh, relatively cramped Chicago apartment to this paradise, and. Their dad is always having these like men in business suits out, you know, to talk about the Peace Corps. And it's very near D.C. So he would have all of his D.C. folks in and out all the time. And Eunice has her hands full trying to unify all of these like small disparate efforts towards mental disability uh, care for the mentally disabled that are in the government. But there's no like one force. So she's really kind of in D.C. a lot, literally hunting down offices like she doesn't even know what buildings these places are in because they're so small and they're making some effort but it's not effective because it's not all consolidated and the kids are there and 
it and she just it's just that same there's serious work there's serious fun and that is kind of the kennedy way and they would actually go back and forth timberlawn was a lot of fun but also was i think it's ted or it could have been bobby who has another house out in virginia and they would almost like compete for like who had the more fun house oh, dear. and <laughs> one year I, is it Ted or is it Bobby who had the sea lion in the pool what? for a, a whole what? season? I did not. You didn't read that? <laughs> I did that? not come across oh, a sea lion. Awesome. I feel like that would be so imprinted on my brain. It's How did I miss the, the sea lion? It's there. I saw it. <gasps> anyway, it's just like a lot of fun. That is fun. It's a really fun. Unless you get bitten by the sea lion. Yeah. That would not then be it's fun. Not fun. Or, you know, drags one of your children under the pool. It's all fun and games until the yeah, sea until lion the sea goes lion berserk. Gets you. Yes. <laughs> so October 17th of that year is when officially the president's panel on mental retardation was charged with spending one year to come up with recommendations that would be followed through on the following year. And while a year might seem long to, like, the normal person, it is like nothing in government time. Right. I mean, to get all of the research going to put everything in place to really develop a workable plan. That was going to be a lot of work. It was round the clock work. It was. And so, you you know, it, this is a breathtaking, like staggering pace for government work. And it's Eunice's pace. That's whose pace it is. She is like, I don't have time. We do not have time to spend more than a year researching something. We just need to come up with a plan and do it. The longer yeah. we spend thinking about it, the less time we're spending doing it. And we just don't. So... One of the doctors on the panel says, we had not reckoned with the fact that the president's sister was to be a consultant to the panel, nor did we reckon with the sense of hurry and hard work within the administration. Never in my entire life have I worked so hard as during that particular year, and never have I enjoyed myself so much. I would say that the intensity of the hours and the work and the effort was equivalent to an average three-year commission. So they're just breakneck speed. Oh, yeah. But people love it. Some people. Some people hate it. <laughs> some people found that urgency really difficult to work with and very unrealistic. So what was really unique is that the task force here, they're they're trying to focus on like human development, like a whole lifespan about health and development over a lifespan and not just like one particular disease or a body system like, you know, like staying the lung or the eye or what. It was just like basically the challenges of being a human from birth to death, which right. is pretty incredible that that was like never Addressed. an issue before. Yeah. Yes, right. yes. And so she's also trying to get people, she's trying to drum up support because as with most single issues, there's only a few people who are interested in any one given issue. Right. And the people around Jack simply were not interested so she's sort of even though she has jack kind of on her side he's not eunice you know he's not mm. super driven by this necessarily well he's got to be president yeah he's got other things on his mind frankly <laughs> right. Right. so i'm um, you know but here she is she's just trying to get his attention and get him fired up so she actually brings him these two sisters and they've both suffered from phenylketonuria PKU. It's PKU. And it's a genetic disorder. I never actually knew what it was. You I know, know we all get tested, get tested for it. For it. Yes. Yep. 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 Your babies get the heel prick in the hospital mm -hmm. or wherever. You even have to do it in a home birth. You have to send it sure. into the state. I mean, yep. it's one of the only ones that's absolutely, you got to do it. Yes. Well, 
what it does is it, it's your body builds up too many amino acids and it causes mental disability over time. So if you're tested for it early, you can do some interventions and stop those amino acids from building up. So anyway, he, she introduces these two sisters to him. The one sister was mentally disabled, but in the two years between her birth and her younger sister's birth, the medical community had developed the PKU test and they were able to intervene in the second sister's medical path and she was not disabled. So Eunice brought those two sisters to Jack and he met them and she knew that it was these kind of medical success stories that were going to be the most powerful and convincing to the people around Jack and to him. So I think she's just really kind of brilliant mm-hmm. in this Right, just showing method. a clear, like, be- almost like a before and after, like we've had this breakthrough. This is what it could mean, like, for this one set of children the difference imagine for a whole nation like right. these kinds of advances and what all a of the reasons for mental disabilities there's mm-hmm. so many of them but and if we can just find if we answers, can solve a few some things you know you can't solve everything but if there are things that are just like a simple test or a simple fix then why not why not make those advances and fund that research exactly. it can mean such a difference and it's at the end of this year in 1961 that joe has a stroke that partially paralyzes him and mutes him. He can no longer communicate. He is mentally alert, but no more direction. Curse for him. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people try to draw this connection between kind of what he had done to Rosemary and then it's more it's very similar like almost like a oh it's karma type (laughs) yeah (laughs) sort of try to paint the lines there like yeah i think it's a little harsh yeah frankly but um because i do i mean i don't want to harp on it but i think he was trying to do the right thing i think he made a fatal and he he had the best intentions though it was not malintended no no so as soon as joe is unable to call the shots eunice hires a ghostwriter to come clean about rosemary minus the lobotomy she does not mention the lobotomy but she comes yeah she actually writes this so when did eunice find out like when when do we don't we that don't is the question oh, okay. that nobody can even i mean even the most intensive biographies and there's a really really good one the the rosemary one or the this eunice one the eunice one is very good as far as like what did eunice know or so eunice I, the kennedy who changed the world by eileen mcnamara is where we got 95 percent of this probably, information yeah frankly. i mean it's... we have to tell you there are not many books as yet written on eunice if anybody wants a book on eunice this one is excellent and it really helped us get a good picture because otherwise you know we're trying to draw together from like other articles and people right. making guesses so when did she know it's hard to say it's I, there's some correspondence between her and Sancoletta's where she's speaking to the sisters and you have to read between the lines right. there's one letter where rose writes to St. Clettis and says, well, Eunice was recommending this particular doctor to come out there. So there's it, there's some kind of idea earlier, like right. even a decade earlier, right. that she knew something, but it's, it, you it's just don't know. Yeah. Right, right. And it's all reda- so much of it is redacted that it's mm-hmm. just hard to draw those even Especially by Eunice herself, because she was like the fiercest guardian of the Kennedy myth. Like she really protected her family's story and their... Yes and no, though, because, like, for example, in this case, Mm -hmm. 
she decides it's important to yes. come clean. And I, it sa- seems like the t- timing wise anyway, it seems like she's just waiting for Joe to not be able to say, don't do it. Well, then she can't disobey him, can she? Yeah, that's right. She was right. never going to disobey dad, yeah. but now she's just like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm going to do this. Is that fine? <laughs> you can't tell me not to. <laughs> right. So here I go. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I think it's so funny because this guy's description, the ghostwriter's description oh, of trying to write this article about Rosemary. Ghostwriter. He's like on the porch at Hyannis Port. They've brought in his typewriter and he's like, everyone is so stressed out about this article. People are really, they care and they're worried about it. And she is bringing in, I don't even know what could possibly be in these boxes, but she's bringing in boxes of papers and research. And I mean, he's writing an article. It took him all summer to write this article about Rosemary, in which they don't even tell the whole story, you know. Mm. But he writes this article. It comes out. It's very well received. People are really sympathetic to the situation. It makes the Kennedys seem Mm. more real. And finally, a little bit transparent. Yep. It's good. It was a very... Job well done. Yes. Also during the time, the ghostwriter said, Pat came onto the porch and was crying and then went out into the lawn. And then Eunice ran in and said, have you seen my sister Pat? And he said, yeah, she just went outside. And Eunice said, "She just, we just got a phone call that Marilyn Monroe killed herself. And she's a very good friend of Pat's. Mm. And she's terribly upset. Mm. So that's... Neither here nor there in some ways, but I found that an interesting anecdote. And the fact that he was there and just interesting. And then Marilyn's affair with the boys. It's just interesting. So many Uh, questions. Yeah. I didn't know that she had other personal friends between her, you know, apart from her special friendship with some of the Kennedys. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want, it's kind of hard to talk about Eunice. There's so many Kennedy things to talk about, so... Yeah, and I feel like it's a this little would hard. be definitely something that she would choose to be oblivious to. Oh, like my gosh. The whole yeah. thing. She, yeah, she'd be like, whatever. She doesn't have time for that. Like, she doesn't have time she for does, food. She does. Exactly. She doesn't <laughs> like, have time for That is not a basket it. she's going to pick up. Exactly that. Okay, so then we're about a year later, and the panel on mental retardation has their recommendations. So they come and they meet with Jack. Now, the year before, he'd been very chipper and happy and kind of ready to work with them and positive. But he comes into their meeting and he's five minutes late. Um, they have 90 recommendations, which seems like a lot. But they meet with him. He's fi- five minutes late and they're struck by his really sober demeanor. He, and he's attentive. It's about a two-hour meeting, and right, he's listening. He's just not joking around like he was before. He's very downcast. It's a very different mood. And they all find out later he had just come from a cabinet meeting, and he had just been shown aerial photos of ballistic missile launchers in Cuba. So oh. it was literally five minutes after the Cuban Missile Crisis began. Mm-hmm. that he has to go, then go in. And now you can kind of see why Eunice has to fight so much for his attention to this issue. I mean, right. there's other things going on that could feel a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Right. but like, No, okay. no, urgent. Yeah. They're, they're urgent. so urgent. And it's yes. interesting because Eunice's urgency about mm-hmm. mental disabilities, she has this urgency that she cannot, she can hardly ever find anybody else in the world who feels... 
like it is as urgent as she feels. But she sees it's just so patently like unjust. And it's the fact that it's unjust to her, like she, it's this great social and moral wrong that has to be put right. And she's not going to rest Mm -hmm. as, as, as long as things are the way that they are. Right. So the thing is, this does not, the Cuban Missile Crisis doesn't slow her down. And they end up getting funding into the budget to address the recommendations on the panel and begin trying to get bills passed through Congress. So in October of 1962, the president signs two bills that grant almost $600 million million over the next five years to be poured into the programs and institutions recommended by her panel. So they really, it's a huge amount. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I mean, in 1962 money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money. It is. Right. It is. So there's this picture of him handing her one of the pens used to sign that legislation, which I just love. It's a great picture, (laughs) and Google it if you can. Um, And she'd been kind of in the back of the room, because she's not officially on the panel because of nepotism, even though... Ted and Bobby. She could have nepotismed her way onto that panel. If Oh, she's not officially. She's a consultant to right. the panel. But either way, he's handing. Everyone knows it's her panel. Right. Um, and he says about her, she's one of the best lobbyists I ever had. So this I want to talk about later on. So put a pin in it. Her lobbying skills are just. Oh, unbelievably. Like she's yes. just. She mastered. You, you want her on your side. Yes. So. That brings us to November 22nd, less than a month later, after he signs this legislation. She's having lunch with Timmy, her son, and Sarge, right after she's had this OBGYN appointment because she's six months pregnant. And they're near the White House having lunch. And Sarge is called to the phone. And JFK had been shot. Mm -hmm. So the Shrivers head right over to Sarge's office, which is just a few blocks away, to kind of wait for more news because he wasn't immediately dead right and dr english was there to await the news with eunice he knew it was a head wound so he didn't really expect a recovery so Mm -hmm. he's kind of there waiting to Mm -hmm. hear waiting to be a support to the family right and a staffer comes into the room to announce that the president was dead and Immediately, Eunice just requests that Sarge and Dr. English join her on their knees to pray a rosary for her brother's soul. English was also a Catholic, Mm -hmm. and he remarked later that he was embarrassed that he was the only one in the room who couldn't pull a rosary out of his pocket. Mm, Gosh. So they really got through this just with faith, just the same way they'd gotten through Joe Jr.'s death. Right. Kick's death. Literally just with faith. Because the doctor gave Ted some sedatives to give to Eunice because he's thinking, right, she's she's in shock. Like when she gets on the plane, when she goes on, it's going to sink in and she's going to come apart. So when that happens, give her these pills. And later Ted returns them to the doctor and he says, right medication, doc, wrong girl. Like she didn't need him. She she knew what she had to do. And that was like pray and action. Like that's so it. So what if I have gravel in my face? Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She she really uh, is a force. And I can't tell you how many people say it was not fake. There is no stoicism. No, That's no. not really what got her through it. I don't know what got the rest of the family through it. You know, she... It was strength of character. Strength of character, strength yeah. of, of her, her, her belief. belief in God, yeah. And yes. the afterlife. Um, 
she that was she so would be there. certain about it that she would not spend time wondering like why did this happen or what is going to happen now it was just she she knew and she had she had it in front of her but the thing is they they never talked about this with the kids and that's one of those kind of kennedy things they didn't really address it with the kids. I think Rose said something about if the kids were to cry about it, they would go back to whatever home they had come from, like whoever's house they were visiting her from. So Rose, Eunice, everyone, they just kind of clamped down on it. Right. There's any no... display of emotion. Like there was no display. There must have been maybe crying behind closed doors or people personally, but among, you know, each other or in the public, they, they, didn't this thing had been done and all that was left to do was to carry on with the work and and to keep mission oriented and to pray and to focus they just for them it was almost like a waste of time now the next generation like those grandchildren and their children really felt that was a misstep they would have liked to have explored those feelings and it's funny that later on maria shriver eunice's daughter writes a book and the topic is about heaven and death. She just, it was something that I, she probably really felt a lack of openness about as a child and really wanted to kind of write that wrong. I mean, she came right out and yes. said, this is why I wrote this book. Right. My family would never talk about it, but it should the, be talked about. Right. It should be open. Well, the, the boys would say that if it came on the TV, it was turned off or on the radio, or if someone were to bring it up, Eunice would walk out of the room. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. so strange because you would think her own fortitude would make her able to that address. she could face something head on, right? Yeah, like in conversation. Could, but maybe it's like having to be so strong yourself to get through it that like she doesn't have want her to, like, like wheels yeah. to fall off yes. the bus. She's right. like, I do not have time for this mental <laughs> breakdown. Right. I am going to keep yeah going. Right. How she keeps going and what the new dynamics of the Kennedy family look like, and the next stage of work that they all throw themselves into are the topics of our next episode. Join us again for Once Upon a Lifetime. A big thank you to Evan Cresta for editing and mixing this episode. Please visit us at our website, onceuponalifetime.com, or our Facebook group. See you next time. Mm-hmm.